listening to the brand new episode of In Love With The Process, and you have been listening to the sounds of one of my favorite bands in the whole synthwave movement, the new retrowave movement, Time Cop 1983. Um, I've been listening to this band for a while now, um, and as you can tell, it is the sort of nostalgic uh, recipe for you know, the old Miami Vice TV show stuff, you know, like maybe you're younger than that. Maybe you guys played uh, Grand Theft Auto Vice City, right? It's got that vibe. You listen to it. You feel like you're on a date, you know, with, uh, you know, the really cute, you know, Jennifer Conley from when you were a kid in the 80s. Maybe you guys are, you know, on a picnic on a beach in Miami in the sunset, you know, someone running by with some ridiculous Terminator glasses on. <laughs> ah, man, I love this genre. I love this music. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Come have a seat. We are about to get into it with uh, one of the best bands in this genre. We're going to be joined today by Yordi from Time Cop 1983. He's coming in. We're going to... Well, he's not coming in. We're going to phone interview with him because he's in the Netherlands. So we're going to, uh, through the power of the internet, going to have a conversation across the planet today. So uh, have a seat, grab a beer, relax, um, make sure those noise-canceling headphones are ready to rock. Oh, come on. You're wearing them right now, Michael. I like this picture you're painting, but they're wearing the headphones. <laughs> come on, dude. Um, uh, what's going on? What's new with you? You guys creating, you guys making stuff, you know, I, uh, I talked about it. Uh, uh, when is this episode? We're recording this episode on the 28th, so I don't know if it's coming out next week or the week after, but I'm just going to talk in the moment, right? And in the moment, I'm happy. In the moment, I've finished my new film, Come Home, it's done, we're finished, we're excited, um, I did the hard hustle because uh, I want to get this film out to executives. I want to get this film out to my friends that are producers to try to leverage making a feature film, right? That's the purpose of doing this. Um, and so we were racing, racing like feverish little rabbits to get this thing cut, pit, put together uh, before that fucking writer strike. And uh, we didn't make it, right? Because... Uh, as of now, on the 28th, supposedly, Monday is when the writer strike happens. And uh, I talked to my guys, I sent them the movie, and they were like, it's good. Thanks for the enthusiasm, boys. And then they were like, uh, yeah, so you probably shouldn't put it out yet, right? You should probably wait to see what happens with the writer strike, because uh, you'll send it out, and people will get excited, and you'll build this momentum, and then they can't do shit, Right? The writer's strike, they're not allowed to look at scripts, they're not allowed to take scripts, they're not allowed to produce scripts, it's all part of the process. So, uh, you know, deflating news, um, but instead of getting depressed and bummed out about it, I turn to you, the fans of the show, the super fans of the show, and uh, fucking A, man. I sent out, we did a, a little contest, and we sent it out... To a handful of fans, I ended up sending it out to more than 20 fans because I love you guys so much. And um, I got some really great responses. 
So for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, there are super fans of the podcast. Now, what makes a super fan? Would you like to be a super fan? What do you get if you're a super fan? Well, uh, to be a super fan, you have to be constantly talking to me about the work, constantly sending me ideas for guests on the show, just interacting all the time. These are people that are fans. They're always talking and that's important. They're always telling their friends to listen to the show. They've sent people to me. I've had listeners that come to the show and they tell me that they have specifically been sent our way from specific fans, super fans. Can I say specific anymore in a sentence? I'm going to try. <laughs> so um, if you want to be a super fan, here's the deal. Write to me on Instagram at Mike Petchy and say, hey, I want to be a super fan. What do I do? I may send you graphics. I may say, hey, post these graphics on your website or on your, on your feed, on your story. Hey, make a story, make a video about your experience watching 12KM. Um, tell friends and fans to do this. I may send you to sponsors' websites and just to harass them and tell them, hey, we appreciate you sponsoring the show. Continue to do so, right? Because that's how I, you know, that's how I make my money on the show. That's how I keep us up and running. It's through the sponsors. And super fans understand all this. Now, how do I reward you? Well, there's a couple of different ways. Um, I have these limited edition pins for the show that I've only given out to guests and super fans of the show. So let's say a super fan decides that they want to buy a t-shirt from me. I may throw a limited edition numbered pin in there. And I don't mean just a pin. I mean a fucking work of art that goes on your chest. I mean, it's an amazing work of art done by an amazing artist for our show. So maybe you'll get that. Or like I did a couple of days ago, um, I turned to the super fans and said, listen, I need a test audience. I need you uh, men and women out there that love the show, love the work. I want you to watch this new piece and let me know if it works. Let me know if my tricks are working. Let me know if the techniques are working. And you guys answered the call. You guys reached out. You guys did the work and I'm fucking pumped, man. I got solid reviews across the board. I got some great notes, right? Some stuff that I'm definitely taking into consideration, um, but in general, really great stuff. And I'm trying because I've been posting a lot of the negative reviews on uh, 12KM online because I find them funny, right? Two, two reasons. One, I think they're hysterical. I may get, you know, 40 solid reviews and then two negative reviews, but those, those negative people are so ridiculous and so overly loud that I love to post about them. And insider baseball, I get more hits on the negative reviews than I do on the positive reviews, which is like, okay, well, what, what, what do you mean you get more hits? Here's how the fucking algorithm works. All of you 70,000 people that are subscribing to my Instagram account, Instagram won't send you my new posts unless people are reading and liking posts all the fucking time. The more people like and read a specific post, the more followers, not even new people, we're not even talking about finding new people, the more followers Instagram sends it to. It's asinine. So if I post one of the negative reviews, which I think are really funny, it goes out there, everybody chimes in. Next thing you know, 20,000 people have commented and liked these reviews. Then 
suddenly do you notice randomly one of my posts shows up? And you're like, I haven't seen one of Mike's posts in a while. Has he not posted in a long time? No. Instagram's algorithm has now decided that it's okay to show my followers my posts. See what I'm saying here? So the funny thing is, is that when someone shits all over the movie, I know it's going to get a solid reaction from my fans, so I'll post about it. So that person inadvertently is helping my career. <laughs> and I love that dark circle. <laughs> it makes me laugh. I love it, dude. And look, I love reviews, whether it's positive or negative. And if you're someone that doesn't like my movie, fucking A. It's okay, man. Not a big deal. And it's especially if you come to me with feedback. If you come to me and say, look, Mike, this music cue took me out of the movie. This did this. I can guarantee you, I know exactly what music cue you have trouble with. And I can probably guarantee you that I also have the same problem with it. Right? So don't feel like you can't give negative reviews. The people that we end up posting are, mm, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. They're usually fucking assholes, right? They just come out, they're screaming and they need to be heard and they forget that the internet is in a vacuum. You know what I mean? So anyway, I've been posting a lot of those negs and I had a couple people say, man, it's been a bunch of negative reviews. Can you post some positive reviews? So we've been doing that as well. And I wanted to read you those of you who are curious about the new movie, which is called Come Home, stars Lance Williams. Very excited about it. I wanted to, to read you uh, the feedback that I got um, from superfan uh, Nicholas did it. And uh, it doesn't have any spoilers in it. So I'll read this to you guys so you can hear it. Get you uh, pumped about what this movie's about. A great horror movie relies on sound and texture. Sound is obvious, and Mike Petchy's newest short, Come Home, is meticulous, has meticulous sound design. Sorry if I fucked this up because it's all crammed into one text here. Uh, but texture is much harder to quantify. It's in the details that add up to something more. Films with good texture are the stories that stick with you. The type, the type of carefully crafted cinema that stands uh, a head and shoulders above similar fare and shows what is truly possible with enough attention to craft and detail. Texture is the use of color. Here in this film, striking contrast between heavy shades of red and blue. The acting is essentially a one-man show as Lance Williams' assured performance takes us into the mind of a fraying psyche. And of course, the, the design itself, here exemplified by a dense lived-in workroom and in the void of, well, you'll have to just see it. The point is, is that all pieces, all the pieces are working in perfect harmony. A tapping off screen, a glint of a metal coin in an extreme close-up, a flash of fear in the eyes. Some works are good enough. Um, let me start this again. This is supposed to be a new paragraph. Here we go. Some works are good enough that they half serve as a touchstone or as an announcement of work of a singular vision, and Come Home is one of is one such piece. Um, I haven't mentioned much of what happens in this definitely horror short, but that is by design. Some experiences should be entered into with as little known as possible, and this is one such work. 
The pleasure of being enveloped in such high-level production is rare, and I wouldn't want to spoil that experience. Suffice to say, thank you, dude. By the way, it's uncomfortable for me to read this next part. Suffice to say, Mike Petchy doesn't need Hollywood. Hollywood needs Mike Petchy. Four out of four stars. Nicholas. Thank you, my man. I appreciate that. I really do. Um, thank you for watching the piece. And uh, I cannot wait for you guys to see the piece. I'm going to try to cut a teaser and uh, put that teaser together. And uh, you guys will be able to see that. I'm not going to be releasing it on the internet for quite some time. Because we are going to the festival circuit. I just dropped a fucking coin <laughs> on festival submissions. Um, let me see. Can I? Let's talk about who I submitted it to. So we're gonna go. I'm gonna call off festivals. Here we go. So this is who we submitted to. We sent it to Screamfest Horror Film Festival, uh, and I, that happens in Los Angeles. We sent it to Fright Fest. I think that's a London festival. So we're, we submitted to Fright Fest. We submitted it to Beyond Festival. We submitted it to Fantastic Fest, which I'm excited about. Uh, we submitted it to Telluride Horror Show. Uh, we submitted it to Film Quest. And there's a handful of others. Let me see. What else did I miss here? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also Fantasia. Um, I would love to get into Fantasia. So um, I will keep you guys all in the loop as to what film festivals we get into. Um, if I get into a film festival in your hometown or close to your hometown, um, I'm going to try to go to as many that I get into. All right. And if you are somebody that it runs a film festival or is involved with a film festival, here's the deal. If I get into a show, I'm going to try to do podcasts at that film festival. So it'd be super sweet to team up. Right. And uh, maybe I come in do episodes with the other filmmakers that are I'm screening with or being programmed with. It'd be fun to do a team up, man. So any of you film festival programmers, if you're someone that knows a film festival programmer, let them know that I have a new film that's out there and I'm looking to do a team up for podcasts, for filmmaking, to meet fans. And let me just be clear. Okay. I'm not submitting to film festivals because I think I'm going to get into a film festival and some producer is going to show up and they're going to see the movie. We already have that covered. It's already going out to producers. I'm specifically going to film festivals for two reasons. One, I want to screen my movie in front of you guys. So if the movie screens close to you, I want to see you guys see it. I want to be a part of that. That's what's missing from my life right now is watching movies on the big screen in the audience. And we've made this for a fucking big screen. Okay? That's one. Two, I want to mingle and hang out with other filmmakers, man. I'm excited about that. Um, so uh, I will keep you in the loop. We'll see. Here's what's interesting. I'm using this website. I'm not going to talk about what website I'm using because they should sponsor us. But I'm using this website to submit and I'm looking because it still has all my information from 2016 when I submitted <laughs> from when I submitted 12km. Now we didn't get into a lot of festivals because 12km's running time. But we got rejected from Toronto after dark from Scream Quest. I'm just looking at them from Fright Quest, Brooklyn Horror Film Festival. Y'all passed on 12km. 
So it would be nice to be able to show up with a new film. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no pressure. Um, I, anyway, I've been ranting and raving. Let me talk to you guys at the end of the episode. Stick around to after the interview. We'll talk about tour dates um, and we'll talk about all sorts of other really fun stuff. But let's just get fucking to it. All right, guys. So throw on those noise canceling headphones. I know you already got them on. I crank them up to 11 and uh, let's play a new track from Time Cop 1983. And then we'll get into it on the brand new episode of Love of the Process. Thanks for being on the show. How are you, my man? I'm good. I'm good, man. Thank you for having me. Nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> nice to meet you, too. So this is the first time we've chatted. Where Where are you right now? Where am I? Are you in the Netherlands right now? Where are you at? Yeah, yeah. I'm in a, a little town called Nunen, and uh, in the Netherlands, that's right. Nice. I've never been. I've, I've heard amazing things. Is it great there? Well, yeah, for me, it's normal. I mean, it's it's a beautiful country, but uh, uh, I mean, the U.S. is so much more beautiful to me <laughs> because it has everything. It has mountains, it has flats, it has rain, it has snow, it has good weather. And here in the Netherlands, winter is all rainy, uh, all winter. And uh, well, the scenery is really, really boring. It's just flat yeah. and uh, a lot of fields and some cities, but... Um, Ah, yeah. I've seen much more beautiful countries. Let me put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the U.S. is its own for. Yes, I will say that it is like it's a mixed bag of nuts. <laughs> Let's just yeah. say that it's a. Yeah, you've got your mid your your mid country, which is a lot of flat land, a lot of, of food chains. Um, yeah. We're out here in Los Angeles. I'm out in uh, Northern California. Not even Northern California. I'm right above uh, Los Angeles, so we're right in the mountains. So we have this really sort of beautiful thing going on. But originally, it's one of the most beautiful places of the U.S. I've, I've been to. Yeah, it's it's gorgeous, man. I, every time I wake up and I go outside and I see them, I forget to look up and I see the mountains in the distance, and I'm like, where the where am I? Because um, yeah. uh, I grew up on the East Coast, so I grew up in Boston, right. which was a whole different vibe. And uh, oh yeah, very cold winters, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, but you well, know, you had you, some pretty bad winters now as well, right? Yeah, this what year, this year was pretty rugged. Actually, this is yeah. the. I was just saying to my girlfriend yesterday that this is the first time since we've been in LA that I felt like we've had seasons because it's been. Oh, wow. It rained for like four weeks straight here this year. So it's well, for us, it's normal, <laughs> yeah, dude. It's crazy, man. You go out now and I, like I go ride my bike in certain areas and. 
It's like mm-hmm. Jurassic Park out here, where the, the it used to be just all brown dirt hills, and now it's just overgrown, and there are all these flowers coming out. And I'm like, what is this flower? Oh, wow. It's very strange, man, with the amount of rain we had this year. Yeah, must be beautiful. It's cool, man. It's very cool. Although with my allergies, I'm starting to sneeze at something. <laughs> oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I know how it feels. But for me, it usually starts in July. So uh, I got a few months to go. But yeah, it's it sucks, right? Yeah. What are you allergic to pollen and stuff? Is that is that your deal? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, uh, mostly grasses I'm allergic to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, dust and, and uh, pets a little bit as well. But mostly uh, um, uh, grass. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in July, when uh, when the gra- grass starts growing here uh, uh, in the Netherlands, it's better for me for me not to go to go outside. But yeah, yeah, dude, it gets pretty intense. I'm the same way, man. So for me, it's what am I? I'm like there's certain trees that I'm allergic to, certain molds, and then I'm really allergic to dogs and cats. So I I can't have oh, really? pets or anything like that. Oh, that sucks, man. Yeah, it sucks for my girlfriend. She gets uh yeah, <laughs> she hates it. <laughs> yeah, you probably never liked them <laughs> because you're allergic to them. But yeah, uh, I've just never had. Yeah, yeah, I've just never had the situation where I go, all right, so this thing is going to make me stop breathing. So it's all oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're cool, man. I have no problem with them. It's just stay over there, bro. <laughs> this is kind of my with cats. Of course, they always come to you, right? Of course, dude. Of course, if you don't want to pet them or you don't like them or you're allergic to them they will come to you every fucking time (laughs) well my girlfriend she's uh uh, she's allergic too yeah and uh we do have a cat and uh my cat always sits near her and uh she always tries to to push her away but (laughs) every time she goes back and she just sees it as as attention so she comes back to her (laughs) (laughs) i could not handle that i could not handle that (laughs) (laughs) um well i do i'm excited uh, that uh, we're chatting, and then um, I'm pumped too because I'm going to be seeing you guys are touring, so I'm going to be seeing you yeah. guys when you come here to Los Angeles. I'm excited to see awesome, you live, man. man. Yeah, well, it would be nice to meet you in person as well. Yeah, definitely. Dude, please, that'd be awesome, dude. Um, yeah. Well, let's start at the beginning, right? I've done quite a few episodes. I've been a huge fan for years uh, of That's the new retro wave movement, of the synth wave movement. Um, you know, being obviously being a film nerd and coming up, I remember watching Miami Vice initially, and of course, oh, yeah. with Nicholas Refen doing Drive and sort of re-exploding that genre. It's it's really great, and and I I kind of wanted to dig into it with you. Like, how did you get into this genre? Where did how did you get started with this? Yeah, I, I think it was, uh, uh, or I, I listened to a lot of uh, uh, French house. Mm. Uh, um, I, I can't even remember when it was. I guess like around 2000, 2008, 2009, something like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of those uh, Ed Banger uh, uh, guys from Paris, I, I, I listened to them like Justice mm-hmm. and uh, Daft Punk, of course. Um, uh, uh, Sebastian or some guys I listened to a lot. And then at, at one time I was at a party here in the Netherlands and um, uh, Le Castlevania, he, he played a set there mm-hmm. and uh, I saw him live and then he played, I think, I'm not re- really sure it was uh, it was that song, but I think he played Night Call by Kavinsky and mm. I heard that and was like, wow, man, this music is so much better than the, the housey stuff, which is faster and more aggressive a little bit. And mm-hmm. this was just really... 
had this romantic sound to it and it reminded me of Miami Vice as well. <laughs> so I started digging around a little bit uh, because I, I didn't know the name of the song when he played it. And by chance I found it online uh, uh, in a recorded set and uh, started looking around on YouTube and MySpace back then. And um, yeah, that got me into it. Mm. It's, then the love for, for Synthwave was born and um, yeah, I never looked back. <laughs> it's funny, man, because I, <clears throat> I, I kind of got into this scene the same way. I had a friend of mine, I had never heard Justice, and I had a friend of mine oh, yeah. play it. And my roots uh, as a music fan, like uh, and for years I was a hardcore music video director, hardcore music of uh, heavy metal, all that kind of stuff. So Awesome. When I, as a kid, I used to work in a record store and I was, you know, peddling off like all the Metallica albums, Megadeth. And so like, I was very oh, much yeah. into thrash metal and I love that stuff. And um, years later, a friend of mine showed me Justice and I, I was like, what the fuck is this? Because it was very electronic, but it was yep. also very aggressive and mean. That Like their first album is really cool and very oh, yeah. mean. Yep. Um, and so I, I, I fell in love with it. It's, it's also very... Um, there's a sense of like a, a, a very aggressive movie score. The way that they were composing it felt very movie scoreish to a certain extent. Yeah, um, definitely. And I just and fell I in mean, the hole. I can imagine if you're into like metal and everything, then it's a nice crossover between electronic and still this harder stuff. Then, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, dude, it's awesome. And then they had those fucking music videos. They had that music video um, with the kid gang. So all the the young kids that were wearing the justice coats and they're running around kicking mirrors off of cars and stuff. That music video was awesome. Uh -huh. I don't think I've seen it. Oh I should look God, it up. Oh, dude. Look it up. It was for, uh, I think it's for stress. I think that, I think it was yeah, for that it song. it must be stress. Yeah. Yeah, dude. And it sounds like stress. <laughs> dude. And it's just like this gang. I think they're British or something. There's this gang of young teen yeah. kids that are wearing the black jackets with the upside down black cross on them. And yeah, they're just, yeah. <laughs> they're just causing shit. And it's a, a great music shit. video. <laughs> oh that's cool man i'm definitely going to look it up yeah dude i love stress and yeah everything just as does so cool yeah 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 so it's it's interesting so we kind of came into it the same way and then yep. i fell into I, i'm trying to think of who was the first i think it was obviously drive really sort of made everything happen yeah you know, for me as well yeah definitely. kavinsky and all those cats and yeah. Then um, I fell in love with uh, Power Glove. So Power Glove was Boy. my jam for quite some time. I love those guys. Oh, nice. Yeah. I really love his uh, um, Blood Dragon album. Mm -hmm. It's awesome. And I really love it. Yeah. So that was the album. For those listening that don't know, Power Glove did an album that was basically the soundtrack for a video game. So I forget. Yeah. It was Blood Dragon it's was the name of the video game, but I can't remember what the... Yeah. Uh, what the actual it was a, a mod or something or like an expansion for uh, uh, Far Cry Far Cry Three. Right, that's right. That's yeah, right. Far Cry Three Blood Dragon. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was uh, awesome and amazing too. And you know, being a filmmaker, this music really speaks to me because it does cross over into the scoring. It does cross over yeah. into that sense of nostalgia. Like, um, uh, and I, yeah. I noticed too, like. Uh, your description on your Instagram, which I laughed at, I think it's really great. Uh, your uh, yeah. dreamy nostalgia. What What do you mean by dreamy nostalgia? 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just nostalgia. That's the, the feeling that I get from listening to to synthwave. And my earlier stuff was like really dreamy all the time. And uh, um, so yeah, I just thought it would be a cool, cool, yeah, creed to to call it uh, a yeah, synthwave or uh, dreamy nostalgia. Yeah. Did you go to school for music? Do you play instruments or were you a computer geek and you really got into it to the computer side? Yeah, exactly that. It was just uh, when I was 12 or something like that. Um, I, I never played instruments or uh, had any musical background. Mm-hmm. Uh, I listened to a lot of music. My parents uh, listened to a lot of music. So I grew up with music, but um, they always said uh, you should learn an instrument because it, yeah, it, it, it's cool to make music yourself. But I never wanted it. <laughs> um, and then I met a guy who had uh, uh, who showed me this program, Scream Tracker or uh, uh, Impulse Tracker. I'm not sure which one it was for for MS DOS. Mm-hmm. So it was this really old school uh, 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 way of making music on a floppy disk. And uh, I was just really intrigued by it, and I, I asked him if I could get the, a copy of the of the disc. So I, I installed it on my computer and just started playing with it. <laughs> At first, I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but I was just I had so much fun doing it, making these weird sounds and everything, and I just kept doing it and kept doing it, and yeah, got better at it. Started mm-hmm. making songs, and of course learned a little bit of music theory and everything and um but yeah no no real uh, music education no yeah well dude that's rad man i love that it's there's a lot of parallels to the way i got into uh filmmaking and and a lot of parallels into the way i taught myself how to edit um yeah because back in the because i got started in in the film business well when i when i called myself a filmmaker was uh, 1999. So it was like the early years of uh, nonlinear editing, like the very yeah. early years of digital editing. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So it was digital then. Yeah. I mean, I, when I went to film school, finally, I, I was t- trained to shoot 16 millimeter film. And then we edited on old plattered uh, steam backs. So like you would cut and paste or cut and tape the film cuts. So I, I learned oh, to do it that way, which I'm happy I did because I became very sort of uh, methodical about how I shoot things and being 
very sort of, uh, you know, planned out with my edits because, yeah, yeah. you know, literally you're cutting and pasting clips and then hanging them over a bin. Uh, and yeah. that's why they call it edit. Do they call it bins in the edit program? Because it, we used to yeah, just yeah, yeah, hang yeah. it over a bin. And if you lose, you just got it. Yeah, dude. And then you're, you just put it up there because you want to w- watch it back. You go, okay, what's this like if I cut 15 frames out of this? So you cut yeah. 15 frames out, you play it back, you go, oh, fuck, it doesn't look good. So I have to put those back in. So <laughs> it was always the worst did, if you lost them. How did you them. put them back together then? So what you did is you you run it. So the way the Steam Back worked is that it would run film through sprockets, and then it would put it through a tiny screen in front of you that was backlit, projected. So it oh, yeah. projected on you. And it was frame accurate, the sprockets on the Steam Back. So you'd run it through, stop it exactly where you wanted, mark it with a grease pen that could be taken off, right? So you just mark where you want to cut it. You pull the film off and you put it on a little splicer, cuts the splice, and then you uh, tape it back together with a temporary tape that also has sprockets on it. And then you play it through. And then if you like it, you're good to go. If you don't like it, you have to go back, release, take the tape off of it, and then reinsert the stuff that you cut and put two tapes on it to, get, to run it through That again. must have been so much work, man. It was, dude. And, and when, you see, when you see that and how much work it, it takes to just remove frames, you understand why cutting was different prior to digital because you understand yeah. what a pain in the ass it was to, you know, you, you're not going to spend that time taking out one or two frames. Um, oh yeah, of course. And the, and then with the advent of the digital editing and then MTV, that's why the cutting got so intense because now with that technology, it doesn't make a difference. You can do whatever you want. So yeah, you can do like ten one frame shots in a row if you want. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. We did that. I directed years ago. I directed a video for Fear Factory. And oh yeah, cool. We, we did that, man. We actually shot stills for sequences. So. We had him sing, and we would do high shutter stills, and then we animated each still one frame at a time. Be, 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 be. Oh, wow. You could not do that. <laughs> no, <laughs> you yeah. were on the steam back. <laughs> uh, but there's something fascinating about it, because the one thing I learned when I started cutting on uh, nonlinear editing programs, so the digital stuff, was how to cut music, too. And, you know, being able to see the waves and being able to understand what a wave file looks like, what a music file looks like visually, and yep. then seeing the rhythms and understanding the rhythms. Um, because I, as like you, I never really had any musical training. And so yeah. I saw things more visually. And so whenever I cut stuff now, and I won't go too deep into this because I know I'm talking too much, oh, but yeah. <laughs> when, when, whenever I cut stuff now, whether I do like a 30 second piece or if I do something for... Uh, uh, social media, I'm always starting with the music track and I'll take oh, yeah. the music track in and remix it um, so that it fits the time frame that I'm going to edit in, you know? Yeah. I love when people do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I, I, honestly, <laughs> this is kind of me being a dick, but honestly, <laughs> when I hear someone just sort of take a, to- a song and lay it down in a timeline and fade it up and down, I'm like, you're not a good editor. Ah, <laughs> uh, Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> you have to build it. You have to build the peaks and valleys within the short period of time that you're, you're making something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and that what makes it work together as well. If you, you, it's really important to me, at least, if mm-hmm. the, the, the music fits the, 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 the film you're showing. That's cool. Yeah, man. And like in Drive, for instance. Yeah. Yeah, that was 
I, I yeah, I, that's I, I listened to synthwave before that, or I found out about it just before the the film came out. Mm-hmm. But when I finally saw uh, uh, Saw Drive, then I was really like, okay, this is the music I want to make myself. This is just the, the images, the, the 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 music and the lights and everything just blended perfectly together. And yeah. Yeah. Is there that a se- awesome. is there a sequence that really sticks out for you in that movie that you that you remember vividly? Um, yeah, the opening scene, of course, yeah. with uh, with Nightcall. Yeah. 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 So good, dude. His- and uh, the the work that um, I don't remember who made the score. Was it? Um, it was a Cliff Martinez, right? Cliff, yeah, Cliff Martinez. Yeah, with the uh, tick of the clock yes. when that's playing, when, when the car's starting, and everything. That was just really cool as well. Oh, so good, man! Nicholas Rafen, who directed that. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of young listeners on the show. If you haven't seen Drive yet, you should go watch it. It's really yeah. great, and the the story is that um, originally, this is what I've heard, right? So that originally Nicholas Rafen was in. Um, Hollywood pitching on another movie and rumor has it that he was trying to get Harrison Ford to do another movie. Oh, wow. And the rumor is that uh, it didn't work out and he was super depressed. And apparently, um, I don't know if it was his agent, someone called him and they had this book, the rights to this book. And I think it was uh, Ryan Gosling that, that had all that. And they wanted to meet and apparently, because of the travel time and everything, because he had flown to Los Angeles, um, yeah. he was sick or he wasn't feeling well. And so Ryan had to go pick him up. <laughs> and it, they, there's a story that it was incredibly awkward between the two of them in this car. And uh, the director was just completely you know, decimated because of things not going right with something else, which we all know yeah. what that's like. Yep. And uh, they supposedly just rode through Los Angeles listening to what they called, you know, nighttime pop music, which was essentially synthwave. And yeah. that, that's what inspired the whole movie, supposedly. Oh, shit. Man. Yeah, dude. That's so cool. I never knew that. Mm-hmm. That's what I hear. It could, yeah. it could be complete bullshit, but that's what I heard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's a good story, though. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, man, that movie's so fucking great, man. And, and, and yep. I think I, cause I've used synthwave in a lot of my stuff and I think what it does, I, I use it as a tool. Like you said, it's a nostalgic tool that instantly will dial people in, especially if you're a certain age bracket, will dial you right yep. into a time from your youth, you know? And for, for me, it's like I'm dialing myself all the way back to when I was 13, 14, 15 years old watching movies. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For me, I, I wasn't in my teens in the, yeah, I was in my teens in the 90s, but, or in the 80s, I mean. Yep. No, I mean, I was born in 1983, so I wasn't a teen yet, but to me, it still feels like my, my, my teen years, even though it wasn't. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's what the music does. Yeah, dude. This yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people forget too. We talk I I talk about this with me with musicians all the time that just because an album came out in, you know, 1983, it was still being played hard through yeah. you know, the end of the 90s. So whenever I yeah. see whenever people are like, "Well, you know, Aha came out at whatever year that was, 82 or whatever." 
you know, yeah, but that's when the album dropped. How long did it take the record label and the promotions and the radio play for it to become hot? Probably another year, two years. And then it ends up being played all the time on the radio for another 10 years. So, you know. And still. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you're you're at that point going, well, even though it came out in the 80s, it's probably a 90s track because of the time frame that it was being played publicly. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally, man. Okay, so you got nerdy about computers. You started making uh, digital music on floppies, which I love. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> and it sounded so bad. You did it? <laughs> yeah, I did. I, I found an old CD with uh, my old music on it a couple of uh, a couple of months ago. Yeah. And it was so weird. I used these random samples for, from other tracks and uh, uh, with. Uh, um, uh, uh, Bert and Ernie from uh, <laughs> Sesame, uh, Sesame Street. Street. Yeah, <laughs> I had those sounds in there. It was just <laughs> really weird, random noises, but it was still a lot of fun to do. Yeah. Well, so was that always the process when you got started? Were you just sampling from other things and then rhythmically putting them together? Uh, yeah, 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 definitely. I uh, I had all these uh, samples on uh, on those floppies, mm-hmm. and uh, I just mixed and matched them together and which I thought sounded good back then. <laughs> no, not so much anymore, but it's a different story. But yeah, it was just me having fun, f- trying to look up samples for, from those floppy disks and just using them in, in, in my music. I never recorded my own samples or, or something like that, no. Oh, and, and still, do you do the same thing? Do you record stuff now? Are you working with synths now? Like, what's your yeah, process yeah, yeah. now? No, yeah, I, I hardly ever use uh, samples just for, for drums, some samples, mm-hmm. and everything else is just synths and uh, uh, digital synthesizers, like VSTIs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I have like a, a, a room of some old school and some, some new new school uh, synthesizers to play with, mm-hmm. so that's uh, always a lot of fun to do. So uh, I've, I've expanded from the, from the samples, definitely. A lot of people don't realize, especially if you're working with like old synths, I I find that stuff so fascinating, like patch pays and, and like just, you know, an electronic signal uh, being filtered through, uh, you know, condensers, certain processes that creates this sound and this rhythmic sound. Like you, you go back and you listen to, um, you know, like Dark Side of the Moon and Pink Floyd and all like these original uh, rock yeah, bands. Yeah, like these 70s synthesizers, they're really crazy. Oh my God, dude. It's, it's insane. And they were huge things that, yeah. that they were playing with, you know? Yep. Oh. And now you can play the same same thing, the same uh, uh, sounds on your, your telephone. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. And they had this whole room full of like one synthesizer, which could only play one voice at the time. <laughs> and now you, there's unlimited voices uh, uh, of the same sound on your telephone. It's crazy how, how, how far we've come with that. It's crazy, man. And it, like... I don't know how many of you listening have ever been in a situation where you've been in a room with like actual synths and actual rack units full of this stuff. It's a lot of fun to see yeah. happen. Like, do you, do you enjoy doing it digitally or do you enjoy doing it analog or is there room for both of you? Uh, I enjoy doing it uh, analog. Mm-hmm. I li- really like the, the, the sound of old analog synths, but um, when I'm making my music, it's just 90% is digital. Yeah, It's so much easier to work with, with uh, VSTIs 
And um, uh, these days, they sound so good. And it, it, you hardly notice the difference between uh, a, a digital synthesizer on the computer mm-hmm. and an old school analog uh, uh, Juno 60, for instance. Mm-hmm. At least I don't hear it. And of course, the purists will say they, they hear it. But I don't think that in the mix, for me, it's it's not worth it to... to, to uh, it's not worth the hassle of recording uh, uh, analog synths all the time because if you want to change something, you have to go back, you have to re-record everything just to change one little node uh, uh, somewhere. Yep, yep. And that's when you're playing with MIDI. But if you're playing it uh, uh, live, mm-hmm. if you're recording it live, then it's a totally different story. Then you have, then you have to, to record the whole thing again. With MIDI, it's much easier, of course, and it's automated. Yep. But still, if you have to re-record everything, it's just too much work for me. And yeah, dude, it, it, it is uh, very inspiring uh, to play on uh, uh, like real keys and feel the buttons and everything. But in the end, it's just so much easier to to do it digitally. Yeah, me. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it, man. And especially, no, I don't think, so. especially in our current time, right, where you have so many different tools at your disposal. Um, yeah. you know. Just to draw parallels, because I, I don't write music like you do, but I do stuff filmmaking-wise. And it's it's the same thing with like uh, visual effects or, or special effects. Like, yep. if I'm in the edit, I don't mind, you know, using whatever I can get my hands on to make the edit as clean and work as well as possible, as tight as possible. Yep. So, if I'm downloading, you know, snow... Uh, gradients or snow effects and I'm laying those on top because in the edit in that creation process you want to stay in the moment you want to go really quick you don't want to yeah, have to it. like reschedule and go all right I gotta go shoot snow you're you're, yeah, yeah. you're with it but when I'm on location and I'm shooting I prefer to have as many things there very similar yeah. to like what you were saying being able to feel the keys and the buttons and do that um, I enjoy having practical effects whether it's physical monster effects or physical items that the actor is pulling and yanking on real stuff that will stimulate an emotion out of people. I really enjoy that too. You know? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You know, but I always say if it works, it works. doesn't matter what you use. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I I think it's really cool. And and so when, when you make this stuff digitally, Right, yeah. and then you have to go on tour. What's your touring process like? Are you, are you bringing synths and stuff with you, or are you playing it similar to the way a DJ would play that, where you're sort of timing playback? Or what's your what's your tour stuff like? Yeah, it's it's both. It's uh, pretty much impossible to do it all like digital or like uh, uh, playing it live. Mm-hmm. So it's just um, uh, uh, backing tracks playing. Mm-hmm. And uh, on top of that, I uh, do bring like one or two uh, uh, hardware synthesizers with me, mm-hmm. but um, I'm also controlling uh, sounds on my computer, uh, which emulate like old school uh, analog synthesizers with a MIDI keyboard. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just a backing track playing, which is like the, the, the basic of the song. And on top of that, I do some live uh, things and put some effects in it and stuff like that. Yeah. Because... You can do everything live, but then you have to record every track. You have to record the bass first, um, record the drums on top of that. And there's, yeah, if you make one little mistake, then everything will be out of sync. And yeah, yeah, it's, 
too hard to do it like that. Like I know uh, Ed Sheeran, for instance, he does it a lot. He uses a looper uh, to build up his tracks, mm -hmm. like a uh, like a pedal, a guitar pedal. Uh, that's a lot of fun to do, but I'm not uh, um, good enough of a player to do it like that. <laughs> so yeah, for me, it's uh, uh, just backing tracks, uh, uh, playing some some sounds on top of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, as long as. As an audience member, I, I feel like as long as the uh, artist is somehow performing with something which can, I, I had a my buddy's a, a DJ, and we were talking about yeah. this recently. We were talking about how DJs have sort of evolved or devolved into yeah. you know making you know hundreds and thousands of dollars and showing up with a uh, a thumb drive USB stick, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just plugging it in, pushing a button, and then drinking water bottles and dancing. <laughs> yep. And then, you know, they, they're just like, cool, we'll do three of these shows a night. I had a private jet, so I'm going to go to this next place, plug in my thumb drive, and dance the water bottles. <laughs> and some don't even mix live. They have a, a set on their thumb drive, and they just press play, and that's it. Yeah, but dude. <laughs> that's exactly my point. Uh, uh it doesn't really matter to the audience. It's true. Of course, there's some purists that will, uh, um, they they're, they try to look at what you do and everything, if you do everything live. But 99% of the audience doesn't really care. They're just there to have a good time. Yeah. That's and true. I mean, respect for a DJ. If you look at it like that, he's just playing somebody else's music, but he, he gets 50,000 people dancing. That's true. It is I very mean, true. It is true at that point. And some guy with with a, a guitar sitting in the street and playing some songs uh, that's making real music isn't getting any listeners. So yeah, <laughs> you know it's well at that point you're you're asking yourself you know is it the music or is it the packaging that goes with yeah, the music? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. All right, it's time to take a break. We're going to talk about the sponsors of the show. We're going to talk about the gear we're using. We're going to talk about uh, the stuff that you might want to consider using. First up, let's talk about our friends over at Puget Systems. If you're in a marketplace, maybe you're a musician, you're trying to do your own uh, music tracking, you're trying to put your album together, and you need a new computer, right? Uh, build yourself a PC. PCs are more reliable. PCs have more interesting third-party uh, programs. Um, and uh, PCs are more affordable and they're upgradable. Now, I get it. Many of you may be, you know, computer nerds out there, if you still exist, or a dying breed, computer nerds that build their own machines. How many of you build your own machines still? That was a big thing for us. It felt like you were like going into the Wild West because the internet was the Wild West when it started. And building your own machine just felt like you were building, you know, a DeLorean to take you into the desert scape that was the internet. I always loved doing it, but it takes a lot of skill. You got to figure out what hardware works with the motherboard. You got to find whether, why the fuck is my graphics card not loading and working correctly? Um, I couldn't afford to do that as I started to become more professional and I started to have businesses. I started to run production companies and post-production companies. I needed something reliable. 
And I sure as shit was tired of feeding some giant company that was just like rendering their hardware useless with software upgrades. I was just, it was driving me crazy. So I did the work. I found this company called Puget Systems, family run company, Northwest. Um, they're up in Washington. Great dudes. I love hanging out with them. They love beers. They love to they travel. They love to support work. They love artists. And they work with some of the coolest people in our industry. If you want to build yourself a monster computer, whether you're doing AI work now, whether you're doing uh, virtual background work, maybe you're running a post-production house and it's time for you to upgrade all your stuff and you want some beefy fucking machines that all talk with each other perfectly, Puget Systems. Go to PugetSystems.com. You can pick a base level entry system based upon the software you're using. So you can say, hey, I want this to be a Premiere machine. I want this to be a Resolve machine. And then you can talk to them. You can custom build it right to them and say, hey, man, I want Mike's computer because my computer fucking rocks. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, it fucking rocks. So write to Puget Systems. Go to PugetSystems.com. Follow them on Instagram. And if you do follow them on Instagram and you want brownie points, you want some of that super fan brownie points, write to them on Instagram and say, guys, we appreciate you being with in love with the process since day one. And tag me in it. Is the best way to get on my radar as a super fan. I'll tell you that. Also supporting the show is our friends over at Fujifilm. Love Fujifilm. Love their cameras. If you guys have seen the recent work that I have edited for Gina, she has been shooting for Boohoo Man. She shot for GQ. She did a massive shoot for them. All of that was shot on Fujifilm cameras. She was shooting on GFX 100S. She was shooting on the XH. 2SX or something. I always fuck that up. Um, but uh, both cameras are amazing, uh, high quality, and they have a new one coming out on the market right now that is large format chip. It's going to be very competitive. I can't wait to get my hands on it. Um, and what's great about Fujifilm is their color profiles. Their color profiles are amazing. And believe it or not, Gina's been shooting her videos with the internal LUTs, the internal looks which actually get baked on the footage. And what it does is it saves you in post, right? Because you're making the decision on set. And so you're actually, especially if you're doing experimental video footage, you want it to look crazy and weird. You're putting those looks on the footage as you shoot. And I know it's dangerous. I know you're like, but what if I shot it log, then I could fix things. Here's the truth, man. As an editor, I'm barely having to fix things. As an editor, I'm looking at, if you're a good fucking shooter, I'm looking at your footage and going, we don't even need to touch that. Maybe I have to crank a little brightness. Maybe I got to bring a little contrast. Maybe I got to adjust the, the color. I don't need fucking log for that, right? So I'm not saying don't you log. I'm just saying that sometimes on a smaller project, the same way you might pick up a Polaroid camera or the same way you might pick up uh, some vintage fucking, you know, dad cam, you know, to shoot for the look. You can do that with internal looks too. And we get brainwashed, right? By these manufacturers that are like, this is the proper way to shoot. It's the proper way to do your post-production. And here's the deal. Everybody does it that way. And it all looks the fucking same. So break the rules. What I like about Fujifilm is they've got enough toys internally on that camera to inspire you to break the rules. So check them out. Fujifilm, uh, once again, you want to be a super fan? Drop a note to Fujifilm. 
and say, yo, I love hearing you are in love with the process and tag me in it. Just giving you guys some, some, some fucking, you know, hints and clues here on how to be a super fan. Um, also supporting the show. Let's say that you do get your hands on one of the Fujifilm cameras. And by the way, the links that are in the description here, they're trackable links. So if you click on any of those links, Fujifilm knows that I sent you, but I tried to get good ones. There is a link in the description of this episode for refurbished stuff. So maybe, just maybe, you want a new Fujifilm camera and you're like, eh, I can't really afford the full rate right now. Always check the link. Look at the refurbished stuff because they put up really great deals for really great cameras. And sometimes a refurbished rig does the job. You know what I mean? Let's say you get a camera from Fuji and you're like, but dude, I've got all of these old lenses that I love. These are the lenses that I'm used to. These are the lenses that I'm known for. I have a Sigma Nikon mount lens that is a 24 millimeter macro lens that I am known for. Like this, this lens has created so many images that you guys will reference as part of my work. So when I get a new camera, like a new Fuji, I'm like, fuck, now I'm not, I don't have Nikon anymore. I can't use this lens. That's where a company like Photo Deox comes in. And that's why we found them. Check out Photo Deox for their lens adapters. And these guys go out of their way to create lens adapters to adapt all sorts of different lenses to different camera bodies, newer camera bodies. So if you go to Photo Deox, that's F-O-T-O-D-I-O-X, I think it's .com, go check them out or check them out on Instagram and look at their lens adapters. Right now, I am holding one. Is this the PL? Let me check. double check this. Hold on, I'm gonna open this up in front of you guys here. Do you want a microphone, Mike? No one can see it. Yeah, well, grow up. So this is a, oh, this is a Nikon mount to a Fujifilm mount. So this enables me to be able to put my Sigmas on the new Fuji rigs. I also have a PL mount to Fuji mount. So I can mount all of the PL lenses that they use on movies and TV shows. You know what I mean? Which is super fucking rad. So a lot of my B-cam stuff on my new movie, I did that. You know, it's really fucking cool. I for sure shot with, uh, let's see, what do we shoot with? I got from Boca Rentals, who's our next sponsor, I got my hands on an Airy Mini LF, which we shot large format, and we used the Orion series from Atlas Anamorphics. Um, and because we were shooting on the large format, it's a super wide image, which is super cool. I've talked about that before. But the problem with anamorphic lenses is that they're not macro. And so you guys know me for a lot of my macro shots, my tight, 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 tight detail shots. I have to go to spherical lenses in order to make that happen. I have my Sigmas, which are the Nikon mount Sigmas, that are macro in, within themselves. And then I will also mount those Sigmas on extenders to get them even closer. So when you see details within an eye, you see like the iris and like the muscles that look like curtains that are opening. That's because I'm using the Sigma and extenders. And I'm able to take that Nikon mount and mount it onto my Blackmagic camera, which is super cool. So all of that was put into play by Photo Deox. We just ran a contest. We just gave away a gift certificate. Very happy listener of the show. Photo Deox is very happy about the whole deal. So go check them out. They're super cheap, by the way. They're very inexpensive and it will change your work. Check them out. Um, 
Boca Rentals. I mentioned them before. The place in Los Angeles, the premier place in Los Angeles to get lenses. This is a rental house that gives a shit about new filmmakers and new cinematographers. They're trying to set up relationships with the next generation. They have all sorts of training seminars. They have um, all sorts of uh, talented, well-versed people that work there that can walk you through things. Because I know many of you young filmmakers are just scared of setting up relationships with rental houses. Like, how does it work? What do I need for insurance? These guys will walk you through all that. And it will change your work forever. Because now that you have a relationship with a rental house, you have access to every new piece of equipment that's on the marketplace. So you don't have to own stuff. You know what I mean? And that's very useful when you're talking about lenses, right? So now with Fujifilm and Photodeox, I can mount the lenses from uh, Boca Rentals that are that are being used to shoot the fucking Joker, the new Joker movie. You know what I mean? Cool, right? Check it all out. Go to inlovewiththeprocess.com. All our sponsors are up there. And uh, yeah, that's it. Cool, right? Your boy's doing a good job today. All right, let's get back to it. say i'm a purist or a snob because i'm not but <laughs> you know i come from you know the metal world and the and i thought as i was doing music videos at the end of my time doing music videos for the metal community i felt like it was getting way too fucking nerdy and way yep. too technical like there was a, just a period of time where it was like how fast can i you know do this shit and you're yeah. like dude no one cares like you think and uh, with with from six string guitars to to 20 string guitars yeah. and starts yeah. to get too nerdy it gets really nerdy i i mean and that i've talked to i don't know if i've talked about this on the show but i i know i've i've talked about it with friends a lot there was a period of time where i was doing a lot of documentary work and i got to spend the day with bb king um, which was amazing. Uh, and it was yeah. towards the end of his career. And I was there watching, you know, essentially they had to wheel him on the stage in a wheelchair and he would step out of the wheelchair yeah. right behind the curtain and then go and sit down and play. And that dude was just a storyteller with a guitar in his hand and he would just live and he was just fascinating yeah. to watch. So it's two different types of performances. I, I just prefer it when an artist is on stage and they have something that they're doing, they don't have to be doing it all, yeah. but they have something that it, they may be so in the moment and go, fuck the solo the way I have it written. Here's this, bam, 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 and they go off on this tangent. And you're like, that's the only time I'm ever going to hear that. That's cool to me. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yeah, that's it. I know. Yeah. That for me is the same. I mean, it's not just a, a DJ is of course, not just somebody pressing the play button on yeah. his thumb drive. It's the, the, everything around it. He makes his own music, which is in the sets as well, which people love. And of, it's not, they have to do something because people know if you're just doing nothing and they won't like it. Mm -hmm. 
so yeah, they have to be doing something. And but yeah, th- times have changed. That's true. Well, when I was talking to my friend about it, we were saying he was saying, and I never really thought about it from from that perspective. But he was saying that the audience is always fascinated if you have the ability, or if the if the risk of you screwing it all up is there, and there's yeah. there's sort of the suspense of is this guy going to do a good set? Is this going to be great? That sense yeah. of of a suspense uh, really draws people in, is what he thought. Yeah. Oh, that, that's a good point. I think. Yeah, it's interesting. I never really yeah. thought it that of that. Way. I, I mean, I always thought of it the other way, where it's like, you know, this person on stage is obviously fucking phenomenal, and you know, like if you go see you know Metallica play, and then you know suddenly there's this crazy fucking drum solo that you've never heard before. I mean, that's the yeah. reason why you know, like the old Led Zeppelin live albums were so popular and like live vinyls were popular because they would, the mu- the musicians in the moment fueled by whatever sort of drug. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's another thing, of course. <laughs> yeah. man. But you listen to them or Deep Purple, you get real deep with that stuff. And these guys are like uh, in another yeah. fucking universe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's really cool if you do like uh, completely live music in a band, then it's so cool. Actually, I saw uh, Metallica, their concert yesterday for, for their uh, European tour. Oh, fuck yeah. You uh, went, I'm going to see it when it's here in the US. You saw it? Was it good? Oh, awesome. Yeah, it was really good. Really good. But it was a really big stadium and the sound was pretty bad. So that, that uh, sucked. Uh, but yeah, I'm not like a huge fan of Metallica, but uh, I, I like uh, a lot of their work and... It's just so cool to see just four guys playing in a stadium with 50,000 people That's or 60,000 people. It's it's crazy. It's nuts. And uh, at the end, they played uh, Master of Puppets, which is my favorite song of theirs. Mm-hmm. And they just played it for four. 10 or 12 minutes and <laughs> it's, that's what's cool if you're in a band and playing everything live they can do these uh, uh libs or uh, some crazy things uh, uh with it and for me it's different my, my set is prepared like 99 percent uh, of it is prepared mm-hmm. so uh um it's not possible for me to extend the song into a uh like a, a remix of it or whatever. I have to do that before because I need the backing tracks for it. Mm-hmm. So that sucks. But yeah, it, it, it's. But I will. Yeah. Say, I will say this. Here's here's the thing. I do. So to find to find synth wave bands that are touring is very difficult. And oh yeah, it is. So I'm excited to see you because I can't wait to hear your stuff coming out of sound systems that I would not have in my house, like being able to physically feel the music in your chest based upon whatever sound system is coming out, your music's coming out of whatever venue has it. Um, Yeah. I mean, who did I see? I got to see, um, I got to see Carpenter Brute live. Oh, oh shit. They're crazy live. Crazy dude. And (laughs) And I was not prepared for it because you know, most of the time I'm just listening to this music when I'm editing or I'm listening to this music on my computer. And and I just sort of, someone was like, hey, Carpenter Brew's coming. I think it was my buddy Tony was like, Carpenter Brew's coming. Let's just go. Yeah. And I was like, cool, whatever. And I had always perceived that music, you know, through my speakers on my computer. Yeah. And so when I showed up to this venue and they had like this subwoofer that was under the fucking stage. And so every drum hit, every bass hit was like, it was like, you know, 
tidal waves of sound just yeah. smashing into your chest and it really changed the way i processed that band after seeing them live yeah. you know yeah definitely definitely but i mean they're they're more on the harder side like they're more on the metal side of, mm-hmm. of synth wave but for me it's different for me my music is mostly like these really romantic uh, <laughs> yeah, I love nostalgic. It yeah yeah i yeah, love it yeah but it. it's, it's different of course but um so the, the 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 impact of a live show is different, I think, uh, with my music than with Carpenter Brut. I mean, Carpenter Brut, you know them on your own sound system, and uh, 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 you might not have like these pretty deep bass sounds. You won't be able to hear them, but when you hear them live and with their uh, a visual show and everything, it's just fucking crazy. Yeah, dude. Yeah, it's, dude. Well, I, I this mean, this wall of sound is coming. Yeah. I, I mean, with you though, I can't wait to be like transported. <laughs> uh, are we going to oh, step yeah. through the door and end up in Miami, 1983 at this point? <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there better be like a Ferrari Testarossa parked out in front of the place. Oh, I would love to. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> uh, well, how, how, so have you started touring yet? Has the process started for you? Ah uh, no no not yet. Uh, we started in September in the US, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, because I'm touring with uh, with uh, Josh Daly, uh, who I've worked with a lot, and um, I, I haven't toured since uh, September 2019. Wow! So it will be four years later. Uh, yeah, because this thing uh, uh, COVID COVID came in between. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I, I just wanted to come back with a with a bigger show. Uh, be- before it was more like a DJ set; it was just me on stage, and sometimes I had some guest singers uh, coming along. But this time, I want to do it with Josh. So there's a vocalist slash guitarist on the on the podium. Nice. And hopefully, there'll be a drummer too. Uh, we're still looking for one. It's not sure yet, but uh, that's definitely something we want to do. Some really nice uh, uh, visuals in the background. So I want to make it more into a, a concert kind of feeling. Nice, man. Instead of me just on stage and. Which I, I really feel uncom- un- uncomfortable doing anyway. So it's, <laughs> uh, it's great to have, have somebody. <laughs> so do you have stage fright? Do you do you still get uncomfortable every time you go on? Yeah, uh, well, it's it's not that I'm uh, afraid of doing it, but it's not my biggest hobby. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Get high Just to feel okay 
Well, I mean, it takes a lot of balls to get up on stage, right? It takes a lot of courage yeah. to do yeah, that. I, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah. For for me, it's the, the the most important thing is to meet the people that listen to my music afterwards or before the show. Oh, nice. That's why I do it. But yeah, being on stage is just yeah, it's it's not my thing. <laughs> well, so I've talked to plenty of musicians about live performance stuff, and I there's um, there seems to be this the two different worlds, right? You have the world where you know, you're on your own, you're, you're noodling around, you're trying to find songs, you're putting songs together, you're composing songs, you're making these things. And at that point, you're playing for an audience of one, right? That you're just trying to impress yourself when you're making yeah. a, a song. Yeah. Um, and then you make this piece, very similar to what we do with movies. You make this yeah. thing and you get it to a point where uh, it feels comfortable, feels good to you, like it's inspiring to you. At one point, you have chills, and maybe you've had to master this thing, you know, <laughs> and listen yeah. to it like a thousand times. You're like, I don't even know oh, if this yeah. is fucking good anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it must be the same for you yeah. as well, isn't it? <laughs> 100%, man. And then I need to pretty quickly get people in. So I'll have people come into my edit space and – I'll just say, you got to watch this just so I can live vicariously through them as they view this. Do you, yeah. th there's this weird fucking thing that happens where they don't even have to say anything. If I sit and I watch one of my pieces with someone, I suddenly see it the way they see it. Is it the same yeah. way with your yeah. music? Yeah, it is. It is. But that's why I hate uh, um, letting other people listen to my music before I release it. Mm. F for you... It's different, maybe, but for me, it, it, it yeah, it always make, gives me a bad feeling when I see their reaction, and uh, um, then I'm like, ah, shit, it sucks. I knew it. I knew it. Uh, just going to throw it away, never listen to it again, never release it. So for me, it's the other way around. I just release it when I feel comfortable. It's it's good enough to release. And then I just hope for the best that other people like it as well. As well. well, that's interesting, right? Because then you're just trying to preserve and protect your, your, um, your momentum, right? Yeah. 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 I get yeah, that. For me, it's like I want to create something that I want to create that I uh, uh, feel like at that moment – is the best that I can do. And yeah, whenever I let other people listen to it, then it, it, yeah, I don't know. I get anxious about uh, what they think about it, <laughs> if they don't like it or not. And so I just release it and take a gamble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause it's courage, right? You're just trying. I think that um, the big misconception is that, you know, as creators, we could just sort of sit down after drinking a cup of coffee and go, I'm just going to write something. And then you, you put it together and we put it out. There's so much insecurity that comes with creation. Yeah. You're judging yourself based upon your last work. You're judging yourself based upon oh, new yeah. work. Like, do I want to always sound the fucking same? Or do I always want to yeah. use the same instruments? Or am I always going to shoot this with the same look? Right? Yeah. Do, you, do you feel all that stuff? Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, uh, like a few years ago, I had this huge writer's block for about a year. Really? Because 
everything I, I, I made just sounded the same as before. And uh, uh, every time I sat down in the studio, I was like, okay, now I'm going to write a better song than uh, uh, my most popular song back then. But it never works like that. And in the end, uh, I, I, uh, I just came to the conclusion that, okay, I do use the same sounds in my songs. Uh, the build-up or the arrangement is the same in uh, mm-hmm. pretty much all of my songs. But then again, that's me. That's what Time Cop 1983 is, and that's what people listen to. So hopefully uh, they don't mind if I just release something well, it's a different uh, melody, of course, and everything, but some of the same instruments, and which to me sounded a little bit the same, and people liked it. So, yeah, yeah, it's just the pressure that you you put yourself uh, through. Well, when you okay, so this is interesting. <clears throat> so when you have when you had your 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 creative block, right? Yeah, um, was it? frustration that broke you out of it or like was did you listen to something that broke you out like how did you break the block um yeah yeah i think i just kept kept trying just kept uh, jamming on uh, uh jamming along to the songs that i used to listen to a lot uh, which i really liked and yeah like i said at the end i came to the conclusion that okay i'm not going to write uh, something completely new which has never been done before mm-hmm. so i just accepted it i guess isn't that fascinating dude like the yeah cuz you you're not the only guy that has said this that i've talked to yeah. and really. i feel the same way where like uh we end up if something comes too easy to me i end up feeling like i have to overwork it for some fucking yeah. reason when I should yeah. just be respecting uh, a friend of mine said this to me, you should just be respecting the fact that it came to you to begin with. And if it's good, it's good. Move on. You don't have to fucking overwork shit. You know, yeah, that's it. And if it's good, it's good. Yeah. yeah right. And, and you well, don't have to reinvent the wheel or anything, but sometimes at least I have it. I'm not sure if you have it too, but I think a lot of creative people have it as well that we try to, to, to come with new things every time, but that pressure of trying to come up with new things that gave me my writer's block. Yes. Yeah. Yes, so, man. I, it's the same thing. Like if I'm, if I'm sitting down to write a new idea or to process a new, a, a new treatment, or even if I'm, yeah. you know, just planning out my shots and my shot lists and stuff in the beginning, I, I always felt like it was like, all right, cool. I, don't want to be pigeonholed in a specific style. I don't want to be using the same tools over and over again. And yep. it took me a while to realize, no, 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 dude, these are all emotional cues. That's what they're there for. They're just emotional trigger tools. And yep. if I want to make an audience feel a specific way, why not use the fucking tool that I know yeah. gets the response out of them? This is, uh, which is you. Yeah. It's true. It, which is your your way of doing it. And maybe to you, it doesn't feel right to do it again in the same way, but to your audience, they know it's you and yeah, yeah. They, they, they will accept it and they will recognize it as your work. Yeah. I think it's, it's what, what I came to realize is that it is like that. And I will always feel like I need to do something new or, or which has never, never been done before. But 
I'm not a great musician, so I'm not going to reinvent the wheel and <laughs> just accept it. <laughs> you, know how many, you know how many people that I have on the show that, that say that, like, I'm not a great director, I'm not a great musician. It's like, well, why do we beat ourselves up that way? Right? Yeah, yeah. You've got, know. dude, you've got millions of views on your yeah. on your YouTube videos. I mean, that's got to be crazy. Yeah, but like, still, every time I hear a, a song that has been released, I'm like, ah, shit, I should have done this different. I should have done that different. <laughs> Is it the same with you as well? Yeah, yeah. It, it has been the same. Here's what I recently do, which is a, a little neurotic. <laughs> but w what I now do is I give myself deadlines and I go, I don't give a fuck. I'm just getting it done by this period of time. And oh, wow. whatever it sounds like, whatever it looks like, if I get, get it done by this period of time, it's done. Now, I know in my heart that if that period of time rolls around and it's not really good in yeah. my heart, then I'll go, all right, I'll give myself like a little leeway. But what it does is it just sort of gets rid of the luxury of overanalyzing shit. Yeah. Right, yeah, so we just true. we just finished our new movie, which I'll have to send you. We just finished our new film, and I was sound mixing with my friend, and mm -hmm. uh, we didn't have a lot of time because I had a, had a deadline for this piece to be finished, and yeah. so we had to sound mix in twelve hours. And so we did oh, wow. a fucking brutal twelve hour sound mix of sound <laughs> effects and music, and and it's not a long film; it's a short film. So, but it's still yeah. it's like twelve it's twelve minutes, you know. And we went through and it was like 35 tracks of audio and you've got dialogue cleanup. You've got all this stuff that you're doing. And I said, yeah. we're done by 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. So let's go. And uh, yeah. we hard hustled until 4.30 a.m. And we both were at like running at our peak, you know, so like. Yeah. And there was no bullshit time. So, like, as you're playing through it, you're, you're like, whoa, 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 that sound effects cut, that cuts off way too early. There should be a longer fade on this one, that one. Okay, play it back again. Okay, that music should, so you're, you're running on all cylinders. And then you finish it, and you listen through it, and we listen through it twice, and then I go, we're done. And, it, and he's yeah. like, dude, you don't want to tweak it? You don't want to go? You know? I said, no, we're done. We're done. And yeah. I, I knew it sounded great, and then I, showed it to people and they go, the fucking mix is amazing. It's really great. And then the next day he, he's yeah. like, you know, if we want to go back and we want to tweak anything, I go, no, fuck it. We're, we're good. It, yeah. it just yeah, feels like good that. to do that. You know, it does. It does. You don't need to, to, to focus on little things a lot because yeah, your audience, it, you will probably be the only one that yes. will hear uh, uh, or see what is wrong with it. At least that's how I, f I feel it. I agree. I agree, yeah. dude. Yeah, no one gives a shit. Like, oh, the door slam was like two decibels too loud. No one gives a fuck. About oh, yeah. No, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe some people might notice it, but 99% of people won't notice it. And it doesn't matter. No, 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 no. And, and look, it's a different situation, right? Like if, and maybe this is just me protecting myself here. But if I was <laughs> doing, you know, uh, a Hollywood budget, you know, you know, $60, 60 million dollar movie. And I'm like, well, we should probably go back and tweak every element of this, you know, because yeah. there's $60 million behind it. But yep. if you're doing something on your own, eh, why do that? Like, why beat yep. yourself up? I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's cool, man. It's cool. Yep. I, I love talking with dudes like you, man, just because I feel like we 
are tortured. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As creatives, we're, we're we're very tortured, yeah. <laughs> or we torture ourselves. That's the problem, I think. Yeah, dude, I agree. And then you know, trying to fight through you know the imposter syndrome, trying to fight through that yeah. to create work. And when do you find when are you the most exhilarated with what you're doing? And what part of the process for you is it the best? Uh, ever. Uh, uh when I just come up with a new idea, like mm-hmm. in the, the the first few minutes of uh, of a new new track I'm working on, which or uh, uh, when I'm jamming and I get an idea that might end up in a track, that's for me that's the the the, the greatest feeling and the, the the best part of making music because then you have your like your main melody or your 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 uh, chords you're going to use in the song, and then you're finding new new sounds for it and. So cool. Just man. finishing the song, I, I like the least because I only uh, I like to write uh, when I start with my music or write my music. I uh, uh, end up with the the chorus, mm-hmm. and uh, from there I need to start thinking about arrangement and everything. But just creating that little chorus, it's just sixteen bars or twenty seconds of of music. That's when I have the most fun. <laughs> just putting that on a loop, like uh, constantly for a few hours, just playing uh, some new sounds over it, trying these sounds, tweaking that a little bit, uh, adding a little hi hat there. That's just the most fun, like the creative part, and the 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 the, the arrangement, like uh, uh, building up a track, that feels less creative. To me, mm-hmm. so I don't like that as much. And mixing and mastering, by then I've heard the song thousands of times already. Yeah, and I don't even like it anymore. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> That's that, even less fun. Yeah, then the skill is like trying to hear it fresh uh, yeah. every time. That's hard, man. That's really hard. Yeah, man. it is. I always uh, um, make a mix, go into my car, drive around, mm-hmm. play first, play a song on the radio, so I know uh, uh, how it should sound. And then play my song in the car uh, uh, and uh, uh, drive, and then I really hear the, the the things I need to change and where I want to change. So that that works uh, uh, very good for me, it, uh, dude. It's weird how that works, right? I wonder. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder why, right? Because you, you, obviously you're creating in like I'm sure you have a great setup. I'm sure you have yeah. like amazing speakers. You have. The, the 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 place that you're making this thing is the place that it's always going to sound the best, you know? Yeah, it should, yeah. Yeah, and th- so then why is it that when we take these things out into the world, they just, they speak to us in a different way? Yeah, I think it's the the the, the experience of, uh, uh, well, for me, listening to music, I mean, I always listen to music in the car. Mm-hmm. So uh, it gets me in a certain mood and I know how it should sound like. And then I play my own music uh, uh, when I'm in the mixing phase, phase or even in the arrangement phase. Then, yeah, it's just you experience it more mm. or in a different way, I think. Because when I'm in my studio, I'm just sitting my, uh, behind my computer for, for, for eight hours a day. And, yeah, it's just it, it gets boring. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, it's crazy, right? And yeah. like like with anything with our bodies, I feel like our bodies just sort of protect us from it after a while and they sort of make it almost like callous to how you're experiencing. Especially it's the same thing when I'm editing, dude. 
where you know yeah. you're you're going through footage over and over and over again and i find yeah. the more intense it is the the closer to the computer you're sitting like you're leaning into it you're like yeah right on top of it and there are these things that you have to teach yourself there are practices that you have to teach yourself as an editor where you go all right, I just accomplished something that I like. Let me step away. So you, you walk away, you get just, <laughs> unfortunately, you put on a lot of weight when you're editing because you're like, oh, I'll, go get a, I'll reward myself, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go get a but snack. I think that's also something that you, yeah, you have to do something. Yes. That's your body, like you're saying, your body saying that, hey, you need to move or uh, you're doing something for four hours at a time. It isn't normal. I yeah. Think. Yeah, it's kind of insane. Whenever I'm cutting, I feel like, uh, what's his name from Clockwork Orange with my eyeballs fucking, you know, opened uh, yeah. and I'm just staring at this Jack footage. Nicholson, right? Isn't he? <laughs> no, it was, uh, who was in Clockwork? Oh, God. Um, McDonald, right? What was his name? Oh, right. I can't remember his full name right now. Uh, oh, no, me it's me right me there. Me. But uh, yeah, dude, it's, it, it's fucking torture. And yeah. when I'm cutting, I don't know if you feel the same way when you're doing music. But when I'm cutting and I'll do like a thrash session where I'll do like eight hours, 12 hours, and you just start to hear the same rhythms of like the motorcycle, run, 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 and you hear it like 200 fucking times. And, yeah. and then I can't just go to bed. Like I can't get up exhausted and climb into bed because that motorcycle won't stop running in my head. Yep. Yeah. For me, it's the same. I, th those melodies keep playing in my head all the time, and uh, um, it's really funny when. Uh, uh, well, I haven't done it in a while, and I should do it more. But uh, I, I used to ride my bike a lot, like uh, uh, road racing or mountain biking, mm -hmm. and then then I have these little melodies in my head which keep playing for hours at a time. It's only two seconds uh, of a song that I was working on, but it just keeps on repeating, repeating, and just gets you in a zone so in a way it's a good thing as well for for me at least when i'm making music so it gets you in like this this state of mind where you hear this music and that's all you hear and that's all that exists <laughs> it's true and yeah <laughs> but then again the problem is that if you're working on with music i'm not sure if it's with film as well but uh, when i'm working on a song uh, and i've been working on it for for 12 hours it's it's uh, uh, you get into the zone, but the morning after it sounds like shit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> is it the same for you as yes. well? <laughs> yes, dude. Yes, you come in and you go. I thought this was fucking good. <laughs> like, yeah. So in a way, it's good to get into that zone, but it's also uh, uh, dangerous that you become blind to. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Yeah, like I say, at that moment, that's all that exists, and. Yeah, when you hear it back or see it back, it sucks.
Well, this is something that a lot of people don't talk about editing. Um, yeah. When I work for clients, so, uh, so oftentimes, especially now in the modern social media days, where like yeah. you're shooting something, whether you're doing a commercial or some sort of event, the turnaround time, because it's only valid for a certain period of time, the turnaround time is usually pretty fucking quick. So yeah. like these days, I'll do a cut in 24 hours so like it'll be shot and then you have to go through all the footage you have to ingest the footage you have to review the footage you have to pull your selects you have to find music you have to cut music and then you have to do a first pass cut second pass cut and then a polish in 12 hours you know wow man it's intense and so what you end up doing is is almost like you're a sports player that has to stretch you know and like yeah do the stuff you you train yourself i have to put rhythms in place where i'm like okay so i i'm going to adjust everything and i'm not really going to pay attention to it because i don't want to i don't want to dull my reaction to it so yeah like that yeah I'm gonna so ad- you just focus on the process instead of what you're actually seeing exactly dude and then yeah. when i'm doing this when i'm doing the selection process for for clips uh, especially yeah. if i'm on like a fucking intense timeline let's say you shot Mm, let's say you shot like five hours worth of footage, right? Well, it's five hours. So if you were going to watch that footage real time, it's five fucking hours, but it's never, if you're reviewing footage real time, you're rolling it back, playing it twice, looking at things. So realistically, it'll take you about eight hours to look at five hours worth of footage, right? So if you're trying to turn these things around in 12 hours, you don't have the luxury to do that. And so what I have been doing lately is I'll just scrub through clips. So I'll look at a clip, I'll make it real big on the screen, and then I'll just grab the cursor and I'll pull through it. And then I'll reverse through it. And then I'll pull through it again. And whatever visual element, unless there's dialogue or stuff that you have to cut, but if it's just visuals, whatever the visual element sticks out to me when I pull it through, I go, that's interesting. And then I'll grab that section and lay it down. And that's yeah. my selection process for stuff. It's, oh, wow, yeah. It's that quick. So in a way, it's like l- lucky bits that you find then. Yeah, and- I mean, but more than luck, right? Because at that point, you're not focused yet on nuance. You're focused no. on what the eye, what is catching the eye at a bird's eye view, right? Yeah, like, yeah. So like it could be the way the actress like moves her hand and spins back towards you and the way uh, someone sort of tilts their neck or it could be the way the car door closes before the tire skids out. Like it's these little moments that when you're watching a movie, it's always those little moments that stick out to me. I say this all the time. The One of the best shots for me in Mad Max Road Warrior yeah. is that low angle shot when Max stops, hits the brakes in the car to get out to get the fuel that's that's falling out of the truck, and it's this low angle shot of this tire that just skips. It was something that happened when he hit the brake and the tire just goes. And it's such a a perfect moment. And so when I'm scrubbing through this footage, I'm looking for those moments, those like, you know, and then you build, right? So what I try to do, very similar to you trying to find a melody, I find those moments and I say, okay, how long's the clip? So maybe I'm making something that's going to be 30 seconds long. Okay. Yeah. So I go, I need in 30 seconds, I need at least three 
three of those moments, you know? Yeah. So I find them, I place them, I lay them in, and then I build off of those moments. I'll, I'll then go find clips that build to that motion or build to that movement or build to the emotion of that thing. And then you work your way backwards and that's how you're high speed cutting. You're just. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. So you, like me, you begin with the highlights or the chorus in yep. the music yep. and then build around it. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And then what you do is I give myself time. So like if I know I'm, and this is only if I'm working for a client, I, if I know that I only have 12 hours, I go, cool. It's going to take me about an hour to put everything in. I'm not going to go through and meticulously label everything. I'm just going to highlight label stuff, boom, 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 boom. Then I'm going to do that scrub process, which I'll give myself about an hour, hour and a half to do that. And then I'll go, all right, I got to walk away. I walk away, have lunch, make a phone call, yep. go for a walk, come back in. And now I watch it and I go, okay, yeah. where are the nuances? Let me find the nuances here. And I never end up, especially on a time frame like that, I'm not going through every fucking clip and looking at like how the wind blows her hair in every shot, <laughs> right? Yeah. You're just looking for what speaks to you the loudest and laying it in. Yeah. And uh, I mean, that's what people will remember from seeing it anyway. So that's a really cool approach of doing it. Yeah, man. And, and so I, was, I think the reason I brought that up was that that's my way of protecting myself from from writer's block, from like creative yeah. block, is having a system in place in which I can just do that routine and find something really great. Yeah, that's cool. Man. That's great. Yeah, man. And with this as well, if this works for you, then yeah, it's, it's the right way to do it. Yeah, because weirdly it becomes your style. Right? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, because then people are like, I love those fucking little moments. And I go, mm-hmm. That's because that, that's that's what I do, is I find those moments. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's weird Sweet. how that plays out. I don't know. I, I got yeah. off on a tangent. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's cool. It's cool to have, to have an insight into to your process like that. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Well, I, I mean, but I, I, I'm curious too, because I feel like, when you're a musician, nothing exists when you start, you know? Oh, yeah. It's not like you're, especially, I would assume, because you're writing by yourself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's harder, man, because- Yeah, with Josh as well, with my uh, my singer. Okay, but all mostly right. it's just me, yeah. Do you find it to be easier if you have someone else in the room with you and you're bouncing no. ideas? No. Oh, no, definitely not. For me, it's really hard to do it like that. Actually, Josh asked me a few days ago if I wanted to do a, a session with him over the phone, but it's just really hard for me to do it like that. I can concentrate then, and uh, I'm not such a great uh, piano player that I come up with a melody like that. So it's just a lot of trial and error with my music. So I don't want other people to, to, to see or hear that. So <laughs> Are you self-conscious really of, your, of your process? Is that why? Yeah, that's it. Definitely. Definitely. Mm. I understand. I yeah. totally understand that. But for you, it's the same. You're, you're creating something out of nothing. If you're a filmmaker, if you're just an editor, then it's different. But if you. Yeah, yeah, as a filmmaker, you are. The thing that's really wild about it, and I think that I love and hate it, right? I love the fact that I can collaborate. My, my job is collaboration. That's what it is at every fucking level. 
Like, granted, I may sit down and go, I have this idea or I had this dream. But as soon as I say it, I had this idea, I had this dream, it's now being collaborated with everybody. And um, it's amazing, but it's also the fucking worst. Sometimes I feel like I wish I was just a painter, you know, where all I had to do was take the lids uh, or the caps off my paint and, you know, wash a brush and sit down to do it. And, 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 you know, the equivalent for me is like calling up a friend of mine and begging him to do something for free. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, yeah, it's I can imagine. it comes from nowhere, but then it there's this thing that happens when you start to talk to people and you start to bring in your collaborators, it, it starts to take shape in some weird way in the consciousness that's between you two. It's almost like this, this yeah. blob that's floating between and you're like, what if he wore this kind of outfit? And uh, oh, I know this guy that can blah, 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 blah. And then it starts to shape itself and you go, oh, this yeah. is better than I could have ever done it on my own. Okay, great. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's definitely, that's how I think as well about collaborating. But uh, I love working together with other people, but please let me do my own thing (laughs) and then I'll let you do your thing. I'll gladly be there. But for me doing my thing, (laughs) I just want to do it myself. (laughs) Do you find that it's, do you find that it's a solitary sort of creation, but do you ever get lonely making that stuff on your own? Ah, no, I never get lonely doing this. Ah, nice dude. Nice. Yeah. It's just me being in my zone in my happy place. And uh, yeah, that's it. Ah, so, uh, yeah. that's what everybody wants, man, is, is to have, you're very lucky to have that, you know? Yeah. Oh, uh, definitely, definitely lucky to have it like that. Yeah. Cause that's what everybody wants. They want to be able to live consciously in their own space and, uh, you know, feel happy and content. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I've reached, uh, <laughs> I've reached that. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's awesome. And uh, how often are you writing? How often are you making music? Uh, pretty much every day. It's, I, I force myself to sit in. The, well, not forcing. It doesn't feel like that. But uh, I sit in the studio every day and just start creating something. Might not be synthwave at that time. Might be something completely different. Or for my side projects, I'm uh, I'm doing some work uh, or some some experimental stuff. It's just I'm always busy uh, uh, when I'm in my studio making music. Mm-hmm. And yeah, the the from there I get the the best ideas. And it, 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 99% of what I make doesn't get used or sounds like shit. Mm-hmm. But then from this process of doing this, these few songs that I release in the end are coming from that process as well. And that really works well for me. So I'm always busy making music. It's so cool, man. It's it's like, it's so cool. Anytime yeah. I, like, that's why I do the show. Anytime... I get to hang out with another artist, whether it's a guy like you that makes music or if it's a chef who's like noodling mm-hmm. in the kitchen all day or, you know, a person that is like practicing sketching on, on notepads and, ca- yeah. and cafes to just find it. And then the next thing you know, they're doing like concept work on Star Wars fucking spaceships. Like yeah. the, the process of mining creativity and then finding the ability to be comfortable and confident with yourself doing it it takes a while but when you meet people that have that it's just so fucking inspiring dude yeah 
and that's a really important part of as well like like i said before to me it's never perfect but as a creative if you actually want to release something into the world for an audience then at one point you have to say okay this is it i know when i listen to it or see it again i know it could be better and it's never going to be perfect for myself, but as a create, as a creator or a creative person, you have to accept that as well. And it's it's really hard to do that. It took me a while to 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 to, to be like to think like that. Mm-hmm. But that's a really important part. I agree, ma'am. I agree. It's yeah. like I have a lot of friends, and I've had a lot of friends growing up that want to do the same kind of thing, right? They want to be a creator, but they they are always like, it's not right yet. Like what I'm doing isn't correct and it's not finished and it's not, my argument is always like, just put the fucking thing out, man. Just put it out. Like that's what I always say as well. Yeah. Yeah. Let the audience live with it and you'll be so surprised, you know, give yourself 10, 15 years from now and the people that are celebrating you for that one track or that one piece that you did that you thought sucked. (laughs) <laughs> yeah and everybody's like that's genius and you're like is it though <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i know that's i know the feeling <laughs> <laughs> is it good though i don't know if it's good yeah <laughs> all right you like it cool man all right and it's weird you see you see people that age in the business and you see people that have been around long enough and they just they hit a point where they start to embrace it and they're there hits this point where people because especially in the movie business, it's so neurotic. You're judged based upon your appearance. You're judged based upon your work. What yep. are people thinking? And are people accepting me? And do I finally get the opportunity to make the thing that I've always wanted to make? And it's this neuroses that that is just saturated in us. Yep. Um, and then you hit a certain age where you go, I just don't give a fuck anymore. No, yeah. I just want to create what I want to create. If people like it, it's great. If they don't like it, well, it sucks. But at least I tried. Yes. That's how, how I think about it. And of course, I check uh, in my, my stats which songs are doing better than others. And I take that into account. But in the end, it's just me creating the music that I want to create and not thinking about what other people think about it. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't let other people listen to it as well uh, before it's released. And you just have to to accept that it's never going to be perfect for you, but you know that people, if they're listening to it, uh, 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 then they won't hear those things or see those things that you don't think are right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. And when I when I now when I show stuff to people, or if I'm looking for you know reviews or audience responses, what I'm really checking in on you know there's still a sense of where you're like it feels good when someone likes something there's still that but yeah uh what i'm really checking in on is if my tools and my tricks are working yeah you know That's it. like did 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 you feel this emotional beat here and they go oh i love this part when this happens you go awesome that yeah. music you worked or that mix theory worked or that works okay great good put that away and i'll use that next time that's great yep you know I love that, man. Definitely. It's like taste it's like taste tests for your work, you know? It is, it is. Yeah, man. Dude, where are we at? Well, we should probably wrap this up. This has been a fucking killer conversation, my man. Oh well, yeah, I liked it a lot. For sure. I like it a lot. <laughs> um, 
So I'm excited. So are you are you practicing for your tour? Are you getting ready for the road? Uh, yeah, we uh, have started preparing everything, uh, working on so, some extra tracks uh, because we want to. Re- Josh and I want to release an album uh, before we go on tour. Nice. So that's something cool uh, we're working on. And of course, working on the songs to make them ready for 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 live work as well, and uh, yeah, doing a lot of a lot of things lately. Yeah, it's really busy. It must be pretty intense doing an inter- like an international tour for you, right? So going to the is it is the yeah. planning of a U.S. tour really t- difficult? Um, well, the, the planning itself was really easy uh, because I have a U.S. booker, uh, okay. a, a booking agent in the U.S. And within three weeks, we had uh, like uh, the entire tour or 90% of the tour was, was, was done or scheduled. But then the, the preparation that takes the, the longest time, we have to find transport, we have to find yeah. lights, we have to find a drummer, uh, a lighting guy, uh, everything like that. And with our visas as well, we have to, to, to apply for a, a, a U.S. visa, which, which takes a, a, requires a lot of information and takes a few months to, to, to process. Oh, right. You don't think about that. That's going to be a pain in the ass. Uh, well, it's... It, it's. I work with like a U.S. lawyer, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and then they they tell me what documents they need, and then it's pretty easy. But um, yeah, it's what you have to, to to supply to get that kind of visa. It's it's a lot of information, and uh, I have to do like an interview at the at the embassy of the U.S. and then I get my stamp in uh, in my passport. But it it takes a few months to to get that kind of uh, of visa. Yeah. We, what are they interviewing about? Like, what are you going to do in the U.S.? Is that basically yeah? What are you going to do? Uh, like, do you have a criminal background? Or uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, no, yeah, of course. You, you've asked that at least fifteen times in the process already, but they still ask it. Yeah, <laughs> so they, they definitely want to be sure of that. And uh, um, uh, or are you when are you flying back? And are you planning to stay in the U.S.? And uh, uh, what's your your uh, money situation? Or right. yeah, can you? supply for yourself while you're in the u.s and things like that weird yeah because right because you're going to another country and you're getting paid to go to another that must get yeah. a little yeah that must get a little intense yeah <laughs> and i mean it's it's a good thing that they check so much so uh, for me it isn't a problem but it's just it, it takes such a long time to to get that visa and it costs yeah. quite a lot of money to with the u.s lawyer and uh then the application itself is very expensive well pretty expensive and but it, it's part of the process do you like touring is it fun for you um uh it is in the end it is and during the first week it, it is a lot of fun but then <laughs> it gets hard. You get very tired and yeah. uh, uh every day is the same even though you get to meet new people and you're in new cities and everything but it's just uh, uh performing uh breaking down your stuff as as quickly as possible uh <laughs> drive to the hotel sleep drive all day the next day and yeah, it, it, it's, it's it's hard work, but it's a lot of fun, definitely. Mm-hmm. But after those three weeks, you look back and think, okay, it was a lot of fun. But the first <laughs> time I did a U.S. tour, I was so tired after that. I said, I'm never, ever going to do that 
and yeah, <laughs> again. But and now here you are back. Yeah, here back. I am. In a few months, I'll be back. <laughs> back into it, dude. Yeah, I do. Like I've spent time on the road with bands, obviously, and I've oh, yeah. I've done that kind of stuff. And and people forget how, I, or just people aren't aware of how boring oh, yeah. it is. <laughs> like it's really, really a boring fucking thing until you you know get on stage and. Um, there are folks that are like, yeah, you get to travel the world, but you're just yeah. jumping on and off a bus or out of a, out of a, a van a car, yeah. into the same fucking kind of location, ushered back into the same sort of dark room. You don't have time, you know, oh, yeah. to see the area that you're in. It's just another venue, you know? No. Yeah. That's, uh, uh when I, uh, going the, on a tour in the U S I drive, uh, as well. And then you see like this beautiful scenery, and especially in, in in Washington and Portland with the with the mountains and everything with Mount Rainier, and that that just is such a great drive over there in California as well. Yeah. That is a lot of fun, but you don't get to experience it like a tourist. It's not like oh, uh, this city sounds cool, let's go there. You hardly have any time to to eat or. To, I know that's, that's like that's the worst part. It's the worst part. Yeah. You almost want to be able to like you know schedule days in between your tours where it's like yeah, but I'm gonna stay here for an extra day and then go do all this and then go somewhere yeah. else. You know that is a lot of fun as well. But then again, it costs money to 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 do it like that, yeah. and uh, you have this planning because most venues or the bigger cities they want you on a Friday or a Saturday, right. so you have to take that into account and build everything around that and. Yeah, wow. it, it's a lot of work and uh, it's very tiring and in some ways it's boring, but it gives me a lot of en energy at the end and just meeting the people that listen to my music. That's for me. That's why I do it. Super cool, man. Yeah. Well, dude, I can't wait to see you. We should meet. Hopefully. I know you're we busy. Definitely will. It'd be fun to meet, man. And um I can't wait to hear your show. You know, there better be a Ferrari Testarossa parked out in front of the venue. <laughs> uh, I don't think that will happen, but who knows? <laughs> um, but uh, I can't wait to see you there. And uh, at the uh, back end of the show, I'll let everybody know the tour dates um, awesome. so that uh, they can catch you on tour. You're going to be all over the place out here. So. Yeah, uh, it's crazy. I can't wait, my man. I cannot wait. Me neither. Me neither. Uh, dude, well, it's been a pleasure chatting with you, my friend. Likewise, for and, sure. And uh, is there um, a place that you want people to go? Uh, like, are you selling vinyls right now? You got any merch going? What's going on with you? Uh, vinyl is all sold out, but oh. Oh. I got some vinyl coming up. When was it? Let me check. I love vinyls, uh, man. So, oh, it's uh next week, on Friday. Oh, nice. Okay, so yeah, we're recording this on the twenty eighth. So, all right, yeah. we'll put the information got out there. Final for, for my uh, my EP mul um, uh, multiverse multiverse coming out, and um, yeah, tickets for 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 my tour are on sale. So, uh, if people uh, want to see us, then uh, they should wrap them quick. Nice. And where where should they go to buy all that stuff? Uh, yeah, it's on uh, uh, www.tix.2/lovegametour. Uh, Great. So tix.2/lovegametour. Well, dude, thank you so much for being on the show, my man. Thank you so much for having me, man. It was my pleasure.
there it is another episode in the can man i i really love meeting like-minded people it's it's the best it's the best to be able to sit around and talk with other artists about life talk about insecurities right because when you if you watch someone else's movie if you listen to someone else's music you go man they got their shit together right how can i get to as good as they are you ever feel that way and then you hang out with them and they go eh, i don't have my shit together I'm just like you, man. I'm still trying to figure shit out. And you go, oh, okay. So it's okay that I feel this way. Ah, thank God. And then once you start getting over the insecurity of being insecure, then you can just sort of embrace the fact that, hey, that's just part of the deal, dude. It's part of the job. And if it's part of the job, then just go with it. You know? Um, Yordi's great. I cannot wait to meet him. So, dude, if you're listening to the show, we're definitely going to hang out when I see you guys. They are coming to town. And as I promised, let's talk about tour dates. Because I know so many of you are huge fans of uh, Synthwave because you've been listening to the show. You guys are always like, "Where? you know, who should we listen to? What's going on? That's what these episodes are about. Um, but here's the thing. I strongly suggest you go see a Synthwave band this year. Uh, we have been looking and hunting and searching for folks. I think Magic Sword is touring again. Fucking great great band a great tour to see um and i was excited because my buddy will was like dude time cop 1983 is coming so we got tickets here are their dates for the u.s on uh nine is september so september 12th all of my boston friends all of my uh the peeps back in the city they are coming to brighton music hall not a bad venue on 9 12 in boston then they're headed on the 13th to Philadelphia. They're playing at Foundry and Fillmore. Then uh, for all of my New York pals, Cruda, you're there. On 915, they're playing in Brooklyn at Elsewhere. 916, Baltimore, Maryland. 918th in Michigan, The Living Touch. 919, Chicago. All my Chicago friends love Chicago. Lincoln Hall. Then they're going on the 20th to Columbus, Ohio at AR Bar. Uh, 9.22 in Atlanta, Georgia. One of my favorite places to drink. Masquerade Purgatory. 9.23 Orlando, Florida at Social. Man, they're all over the fucking place. 9.26 for all you rich folks that bailed from Los Angeles and went to Austin, Texas. They will be playing in Austin, Texas on 9.26 at The Parish. 9.27 Dallas, Texas at Club Dada. Um, then they're headed to Denver, Colorado on the 29th to Bluebird, Salt Lake City on the 30th to Soundwell. Then he is headed up to his favorite areas. He's headed up on 10-2 to Portland, Oregon at the Wonder Ballroom, 10-3 Seattle, Washington at Numos. Is that how you say it? N-E-U-M-O-S. Uh, 10-5 San Francisco, California to the Independent, uh, epic place, by the way. And then 10-6, Los Angeles, California, playing at the El Rey. I will be there for that show. So if you guys are going to that show, let me know. You might, you might catch me at the El Rey. Um, fucking A, man. I love these episodes. I love this music. Do you guys like them? Let me know. Write to me on Mike Petchan Instagram. Let me know what you think. Um, yeah, man. It's always great. And I'm, I'm very happy with the, the episodes so far this year. And this is a, a 
like a pretty good watermark for us. I feel like we're starting to get into the upper echelon. We're hitting all of the top acts within the genre. And I think I'm going to start to expand the music on this show. We're going to start to blow out a little bit and see if we can get some other musicians on the show. I shouldn't, what do you guys want to hear? You guys want me to go pop? Do you guys want me to go metal? What do you want? Let me know. Um, all right, that's it. I don't want to rant and rave too much. Um, appreciate everybody listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. We'll leave you with a track from Time Cop 1983. And uh, I'll be back next Tuesday with something new. See you. I'm looking out at the sunset going down over this town. I can feel it now. In the air, summer's fading fast It takes me back to times when we were young It's crazy how life just keeps flying by My Yes, I'm